On Sunday, July 20th, 1969, one of the most famous phrases was uttered by a man who had achieved what was believed to be impossible. This feat had taken the work of over 400,000 other people, millions of accumulated man hours to accomplish. Traveling over 238,000 miles, the mission in total costing over $25 billion. Each part and step requiring meticulous precision that culminated in these words. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. On a Friday, April 3rd, AD 30, a statement of far greater impact was spoken by one who had traveled a far greater distance. In his words, it was the summation of thousands of years of preparation. With perfect planning, he guided the most complex and powerful story ever told in human history. Through the orchestration of worldwide, world-ending events, his timing was flawless and his power unmistakable. In this man's life, he showed the utmost humility and poise, putting to shame the most pious and arrogant people that crossed his path. His reasoning was unmatched. His logic, infallible. His claim to authority was above all else. There was no question he could not answer, no test he did not pass. And for those who he saved by the works of his hands and the many more saved in the 2,000 years since, the cost was infinitely greater than the mission spent than that spent on the mission of the first man. Fulfilling over 300 spoken prophecies recorded hundreds of years before his birth, a statistical proposition that is so large it is incomprehensible. This man fed the poor, healed the blind, made the deaf hear, and the lame walk. And for this, he was imprisoned. Abandoned by his closest friends and despised by his family. And before, he is, before his death, he was put on display to be mocked by the crowds after having been beaten and the flesh torn from his body by whips. After all this, he was killed in a way so barbaric the citizens of Rome had been promised they would be spared from such a form of punishment. In his last breath, he uttered these words, It is finished. And three days later, on a Sunday nearly 2,000 years ago, this man accomplished a feat no one in the world could ever match, raising himself from the grave. Now, I have a question for you. Which of these two stories do you believe? Now, I have a harder question. Has the latter had any more effect on your life than the former? Our passage today comes out of John chapter 12, verses 40 through 55. I'd ask that you open up your Bibles if you have them, um, or the words will be up here on the screen. As we read and go through these sections, I will ask you to consider these two questions. What do you see, and what do you believe? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are majestic. You are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and the Savior of the world. I ask that you would open our hearts. The words of my mouth would be your words and not my own. 
and that what people hear is you speaking into their hearts, lifting them out of the darkness that we live in, and raising them to glory in communion with you this very day. Lord, I thank you and I praise you for the honor to stand before your congregation. That my words might proclaim your glory, for you are everlasting. I praise you and I thank you. Amen. Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I came into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Whoever believes in Jesus, believes in God. Whoever sees Jesus, sees God. This is both simple and obvious for the Christian. But I want to ask this verse as a question in the reverse. For the person who says that they believe in God, but will not believe in Jesus as God... By what Jesus said, how can they say they believe in God at all? And in the same line of thought, if one does not believe Jesus for who he says he is, does it not follow that he will not see God for who he truly is? For the Christian, this passage should give a great reason for praise. If you believe in Jesus, you believe in the one true God. And if you understand trust, and perceive the reality of who he is as he states, you will see God in his true glory. For those reading this text, you may be thinking that Jesus is not claiming to be one with God. I want to read from you from John 5.17, as I am using the CSB version in this. The Jesus responded to them, responded to them, them being the Jews, my father is still working, and I am working also. This is why the Jews began trying all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This comes after Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethsaida. The Jewish leaders were quite well versed in the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment being referred to here. That one was to keep the Sabbath holy, which they, the Jews, had warped to mean not doing any sort of work on the Sabbath, which they had held fast to according as indicated by our text. They believe that Jesus is healing and this man carrying his mat, which you can read in the verses before, were in violation 
of God's law. They understood, as we should, that Jesus was claiming to be the Son of God. And in that, God himself. And thus, by his work, was showing to be above the fourth commandment and the law. One cannot separate belief in Jesus and belief in God. But I want us to also recognize that the order of these two verses is also important. To see who Jesus is and thus fully understand the story of his life on this earth and the Bible as a whole, one must first accept by omission of what is in the text that God in fact exists and that his active presence in this world is embodied in the person of Jesus, and that it is shown by the claims he makes and the actions that he takes. This is the first step in belief. To admit that, if that what Jesus is saying, if true, implies implicitly, if not explicitly, that he is God, the God, by which the world and we were made. Returning to our passage in verse 46, when Jesus says, I came into the world as a light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness, it should have a profound effect on our understanding of the triune God's mission on this earth and its implication on our lives. Well, let us ask the question, what is darkness? In darkness... In this passage, it should not be misconstrued with actual darkness. Jesus means spiritual darkness. But I'll be honest, I don't know about you, but I am afraid of caves. For one reason in particular, the darkness is overwhelming. Uh, I've been, I don't know if anyone's been to a cave tour before, um, Jewel Cave, the Wind Caves, uh, the tour, first you go into an elevator, which takes quite a while to get to the bottom. Um, and there's this part in the tour where they shut off all the lights. And there is a darkness that can be felt. By God's grace, we are given the stars of heaven and uh, electric lights here and every LED thing in your house that blinks on and off constantly showing you that you have a uh, nice, happy internet. <laughs> um, but there, we are rarely in darkness like that. We are rarely out of God's light. But for a moment, I think, when they shut off those lights, what if the elevator broke? What if the lights never turned back on again? What if... I never saw the light of day again. To me, to be without the gospel is to be in that sort of darkness. But when someone comes to you with a light in such darkness, that to me is what the gospel is. To be in the light. So let us think about that. Let's think about what light is. Simply in our passage, Jesus is the light. He is the light of the world. 
when we think more about kind of what light brings us, light is truly amazing in what it brings. Light shows beauty. It is literally visual comfort. Without light, there is one color. That's all you get to see, it's one color. But with light, we see every painting, every landscape, every rainbow, the beauty of such stained glass windows. We get to see God's every image-bearing face that God created in glorious magnificence through light. If you truly want to show how beautiful and great something is, you will shine as much light on it as possible. If God the Father sent his only son into the world as a light, it seems to me that he really wants to show us something very glorious and very important. Jesus, who is the light, came so that people might, one, understand the truth of God in bringing forth salvation prophesied about in the scriptures that would come by the death and resurrection of the Son. And two, receive a new way to live that is exemplified in the life that he lived and through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit might put to death our old lives and live anew as new creatures in Christ. We can see that by Jesus' own words that the scripture is about him that he is eternal life and the fulfillment of this plan. But I want to stop here for a moment and read from you from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 17 and 20. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake he made, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I need to point out something. No longer walking in darkness and putting to death the old life are one in the same. In our passage, Jesus calls us to no longer remain in darkness. If you are not a Christian and the power of the Spirit does not live in you, I do not expect to see you living a changed life. What I mean by that is this. I will expect to see you not putting to death sin, not seeking God in his word, not growing in your understanding of him, not praising and worshiping him, not submitting yourself to his call on your life. I would expect the non-Christian to not care about any of these things. But for all those who claim his name, if your current life looks in all practicality the same as you have always lived, you have reason to question your salvation. If there is not love for the good things of Christ, and by that I mean Christ himself, 
Will Jesus on the final day say, depart from me, for I never knew you? John 5, 36, Jesus says to the Jews, But I have a greater testimony than John's because of the works the Father has given me to accomplish. These works I am doing to testify. These works I am doing testify about me that the Father has sent me. The Father who sent me has himself testified about me. You have not heard his voice at any time, and you have not seen his form. You do not have his word residing in you because you do not believe the one he sent. You pour over the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, yet they testify about me. You are not willing to come to me so that you may have life. Just as the Jews thought they lived in the light by their knowledge of the scriptures, they did not actually love who the scriptures were about. They believed in their own righteousness that they were allowed to stand before the eternal light of God's holiness. In this, they missed that the life spoken about by the prophets was Jesus himself. And to have true life was to have a relationship with him. Jesus says in John six forty four through 47, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It was written in the prophets, and this is cited from Isaiah fifty four thirteen. And they will all be taught by God. Remember in all the passages where the Jews called Jesus teacher? Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who has believed in God. He who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Some of us may consider to have lived a life worthy of salvation. That we said a prayer one day or maybe got baptized and live our lives like the war is over. Or you see the laws of the Old Testament and the life of the Christian and what God calls you to as an impossible standard to live by. And that trying to change on our own is pointless, which it is. By the ninth commandment alone, most, if not all of us here, are condemned, I included. That commandment is do not bear false witness or do not tell a lie, in case you're wondering. And if we remember what it says in James, but whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, is guilty of all of it. James 2.10 We are assured that by committing one failure, we are condemned of the entire law. But Jesus came for redemption, not condemnation. Read Read with me what it says in verse 47 of our passage. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. 
we must see that there is a judgment coming. But we must also believe that there is a saving from that judgment. Jesus did not come here to condemn you and I. You and I have been judged already by what was written thousands of years before Jesus. He came to save you and I from this judgment. To offer up himself as a propitiation for our sins. To make payment. To atone. To give us the possibility of a right relationship before God. I know us who come to this church every week hear this all the time, but my friends, do not forget how wonderful this is. God is both just and merciful. He requires that the cost of sin be paid for, i.e., his perfect justice must be satisfied. But instead of requiring it from us, he sent his son to pay the price on our behalf. That is his perfect mercy, which he offers to all of us if we repent and believe. If repentance and belief is represented by an active change in one's life, and this shows a love for God, then the rejection of such a gift as eternal life must come at a very high price. So, I must warn you, as Jesus warns in verse 48 and 49 of our passage. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. As Matt spoke about a few weeks ago, while we are still alive on this earth, the light of life is with us. And the time is now to repent, accept, and believe. Rejection of what Jesus said is a rejection of the grace God offers. And the words that I have spoken on this day by reciting what Jesus said all those years ago condemns eternally all here who choose not to see and believe Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one shall come to the Father except through me. There are not many ways. This is not an all roads lead to Rome scenario. There is one way, one faith, one Savior, and one God. I know this is hard to hear for some, but re for reasons such as if God is all powerful, why not just save everyone? To, a go to God is good, and a good God would not send people to hell. Or some people just say, either through their words or their actions, there is no God. I'm sorry, but this is not the truth. God gives us free will. This means he gives us the choice to live for him 
or for ourselves. C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Great Divorce, there are two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those whom God said, to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. You and I are each given a choice. Jesus is pleading with you to accept him for who he is, to give you eternal life. He says in our passage in verse 50, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Brother, sister and friend, I am pleading with you. Please do not go another day rejecting Christ's offer, living in darkness. These words have not been preserved for 2,000 years by chance. Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God does exist and walked on this earth. Bart D. Ehrman, an atheist and well-versed scholar of antiquity, which is old things, says this. This is not even an issue for scholars of antiquity. The reason for thinking Jesus existed is because he is abundantly attested in early sources. If you want to go where the evidence goes, I think that an atheist or practical atheist does, has done themselves a disservice by jumping on the bandwagon of mysticism. Because frankly, it makes you look foolish to the outside world. If that's what you're going to believe, you just look foolish. Why do I quote this? Some of you may have doubts the evidence for Jesus. But historians, both secular and non, agree. Jesus lived and died on this earth. The real question you should be asking is what if this is true? What if Jesus' words are the truth? The evidence is there. The words are in here. And his offer of life everlasting is before you. I ask each and every one of you, consider before the end comes. Will you bow before your time is up? Or only when it is impossible to stand? I can tell you, and many here will attest, he is truly everything. And following him is worth everything. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are truly everything. You are the first and last, the Alpha and the Omega. God of all things, I pray that your light would shine 
that hearts would be opened and that they would see the truth and believe and turn to you and live an eternal life with you in glory. I thank you for this day, Father. Amen.